And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him, Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. Perhaps the one Sunday in the year when the preacher uh, fails, misses the mark in his preaching. I started to say lays an egg, but I was afraid some of you might be uh, uh, accuse me of being sacrilegious. Perhaps the one Sunday in the year when the preacher misses the mark with his preaching is Easter Sunday. He anticipates a great crowd of people and he plans an outstanding service and he wants a real ringer for a sermon. But alas, when you expect preaching to be at the flood tide, it's often at ebb tide. Some of the worst sermons I've ever heard are Easter sermons. How do you account for this? I think there are various reasons. One is because sometimes we try to be too scientific. We bring all this scientific evidence about the resurrection, and so we attempt to analyze rather than to announce the, the resurrection. And no explanation... For the inexplicable is satisfactory, no matter how intellectual the dissertation from the pulpit. And sometimes I think it's because our sermons at Easter time are too ethereal. They never really land on earth. They're so heavenly minded, they do no earthly good. They're kind of a tour guide of heaven. And they leave us muddling around on the earth without any kind of sense of direction. And sometimes our Easter sermons are too fluffy. They're nothing more than an, emo an emotional binge that kind of dissipates on Monday morning in the hard facts of the week. And perhaps our Easter sermons miss the mark because we are so often guilty of holding up the resurrection as an option for people to choose or to reject, kind of like one of Baskin's, Baskin Robbins' 31 flavors. You can accept the resurrection or reject it. We just kind of hold it up as an option. Paul never did that. In fact, he declared that the resurrection was the pivotal factor on which the Christian faith hinges. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. For that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so I didn't come this morning to try to dazzle you with scientific evidence of the fact that Jesus is alive, although there is great evidence. And I did not come to try to daze you with fluff and emotion. And I didn't come to dangle before you the fact of the resurrection as a kind of a carrot for you to choose to accept or reject. I came to declare the three-word Easter sermon that came from a graveyard 2,000 years ago. He is risen. And because He is, the face of the world is changed. Easter gives us a new attitude toward life. These women came to the tomb worrying about who's going to roll the stone away. 
They were wringing their hands thinking about this humongous obstacle that they would encounter when they got there. This problem, this barrier that would stand between them and what they'd come to do. But when they got to the place where Jesus was laid, they found that that the resurrection had occurred and sitting on top of the obstacle and the barrier they feared the most was an angel. And they found that all of these worries about obstacles and problems and barriers were just needless worries in the light of the resurrection. And the Bible tells us about disciples who cowed behind closed doors, afraid to stick their heads out, fearful of what would happen to them if some identified them as believers. And then all of a sudden they were convinced they could turn the world upside down. They believed that nothing could stop them. Was it because... They suddenly became aware that they were eloquent and and educated preachers with great sermons. You and I know that's not the case. They suddenly became convinced that Jesus Christ is living and that nothing they proposed would ever be ultimately defeated. Easter is a new attitude toward life, an attitude of unfailing optimism and hope. A number of years ago, a tragedy happened at sea. The S-4 submarine was rammed and went to the bottom. Some divers were dispatched immediately to see if they could find a way to rescue that submarine and the men entrapped inside. When they got down near the hull of the ship, they heard some tapping on the inside and they listened intently until they transposed every letter of the Morse code. It was, is there any hope? Tapping out on the souls of man was this despair that gripped them. Is there any hope? And then came the announcement of the resurrection, that Easter is hopeful living. It's a belief that there is no, there is no obstacle or barrier or problem that man cannot overcome. For every one of us the belief that there is a way out, a way through, a way over every barrier. Easter gives us a whole new perspective on life. It reminds us that there is a difference between perception and reality, between what someone perceives to be the case and what really is the truth. That's happened in your life, hasn't it? Haven't you just known that something was one way and you were willing to bet the mortgage on it, only to find that what you perceived to be real was not real? For perception is based, is relative. It's based on the senses. It's oftentimes based on inadequate information. It is always based on external and internal differences. There's a difference between perception and reality. And so these men left the tomb, left the, left the cross, and their perception was that Christianity was washed out and they were washed up and that the teachings of Christ was a dead cause and a dead issue and they left with their heads down. And then came the announcement of the resurrection. And the fact is that one, that the cross event and what they perceived was not really real. And what he's trying to tell us is this. That when you try to evaluate life and its circumstances, don't draw the bottom line until you add in the Easter factor, because that makes all the difference. I heard about a man who went to see a hockey game. He said the only difference in the hockey game was that it was played by two teams that were retarded, retarded young men on each team. He said it was a close game, ebb and flow, nip and tuck, two to one right at the end. But just before the end buzzer, 
The team that had won made a slap shot and the puck went in the net. Just as the buzzer went off, the game ended in a tie and they didn't play the, uh, the, uh, the tie off. And he said, as I turned to leave, he said, I was feeling kind of down. I was kind of disappointed. Nobody likes a tie. It's like kissing your sister. Well, he said, about that time, the goalie against whom that puck was made, against whom that tying puck was shot, threw a fist in the air and shouted with joy, nobody lost. It's a matter of how you look at it. I'm here to tell you that you need to hold up life in, in the light of the Easter tomb because everything looks different there. Easter gives us a whole new attitude toward life. And Easter gives us a, a new attitude toward death. Now Easter doesn't deny the reality of death. Nobody wants to die. There's a song that's going around that goes something like this. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Woody Allen, the famous Broadway playwright, was told that he would gain immortality through his writings. Woody Allen said, I don't want to gain immortality through my writings. I want to gain immortality by not dying. Someone said that he heard a woman 88 years old say, my prayer every day to the Lord is this, Lord, I'm a terrible sinner and I don't deserve to go to heaven, so let me just stay right here. Easter doesn't deny the reality of death, society does. Society goes to great extremes to cover up the harsh reality of death. And so from Sunnyvale, California, comes the word that a man by the name of Stan Zelaski has invented a talking tombstone that will play a 90-minute recorded message from the deceased. It seems that Stan got perturbed because everybody at the funeral had something to say except the, quote, guest of honor. The tombstone was guaranteed for 40 years. The Bible doesn't deny the reality of death, but the Bible declares that death is not final. It declares that because Jesus is alive, the sting of death has been extracted and the power of death has been defeated and the bondage of death has been abolished. Thanks be to God, he said, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Daniel Pauling went out to Oregon to visit his aged, ailing mother. He said, we talked a long time. I hated to leave because I knew I'd probably never see her again in this life. He said, I lingered for an hour beside her bed. And finally he said, I said, Mom, I've got to go. My plane leaves in just a matter of time. He said, as I started to leave, she got my hand and said, Daniel, if I'm not here when you come back to see me, you'll know where to find me. It was the last word she said to her son, but he knew where to find her. I heard about Hugh McHale, who was sentenced to be, to, have, to be hung on the gallows four days from hence because of his faith as a covenant preacher in Scotland. As he left the courtroom, he saw a friend at the back and he waved his hand and said, Good news, good news. I'm just four days' journey from enjoying the sight of Jesus. That's the Easter hope. And so John Ruskin was dying. His wife whispered in his ear, Just think, in a few hours you'll see Dora. Dora was their teenage daughter who had died. Just about that time the wind rustled the drapes and John Ruskin raised his feeble head and said, Is that you, Dora? That's the new view Easter gives us of death. 
And I went out to West Texas and preached a revival, and a lady told me that she had given up two daughters in death. She said she had a teenage daughter by the name of Betty who had died many years before. And she said when her other daughter was lying on her deathbed, she said, I leaned over and whispered to her, tell Betty hello for me. And she said, I don't know why I did that. I don't, I don't know what possessed me to say that, Brother Tittle, except I knew that in just a few hours our daughter would see Betty and I wanted to send a message on ahead. That's the Easter hope. That's the whole new attitude man has toward death. And Easter gives us a new attitude toward the future. Now when the disciples were convinced that Jesus was alive, they were also convinced that He would usher in His kingdom immediately. They were wrong. When Jesus came as a man in Nazareth and came to teach and to preach, He established His kingdom then. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was just an affirmation about what God was doing in kingdom work. And the resurrection was just a foretaste of, what, of that final victory. But when... God's ultimate plan and purpose for this world will be accomplished. No man knows. A.W. King Lake in a book entitled My Eastern Travels tells about his travels in the east. He said one night they came to camp out in a desert as far as they could see. No evidence of inhabited land. No evidence of life. Just a waste howling desert. And he said in the middle of the night one of the Arabs got up slipped out of the tent, slipped out of camp, out into the desert, out into the night. He said the next morning that young Arab brought back a fresh blade of grass. Now as far as our eyes could see, he said, there was no evidence of life, no inhabited land, but that young Arab brought to us a sign and symbol that out there somewhere there was life. That's what Easter does. God raised Jesus from the dead to declare to us that out there somewhere beyond what we can see and even imagine, out there somewhere is life. And sometimes the best, sometimes the simplest experiences of life give us that feeling about the future. And so Viktor Frankl said that in the cold and the disease and the spiritual and mental and emotional poverty of the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. They would imagine things in their mind about the past. He said, I could just imagine, I'd think, I'd see myself taking a bus ride, opening my apartment door, turning on the electric light, answering my telephone. He said, we'd concentrate on those specifics until their memories would bring us to tears. And one night word was passed through the concentration camp that there was a special sunset. And he said, so all of us came out and stood there in silence, absorbing the colors and the shapes of the cloud until one of the fellow prisoners broke the silence and said, isn't it beautiful what the world could be? Isn't it beautiful what the world could be? Christians have never been satisfied with the world as it is, for we have seen what the world can be. There came this man who lived on this earth. He was such a gentle man, such a loving man, such a pure man. Nobody spoke like him. Nobody lived like him. We've seen how beautiful a life can be. I want to be like him someday. And he went into a home and we've seen how beautiful a family can be. 
And he took little children on his laps. And we've seen how parenting can be, how beautiful parenting can be. I want to be a parent like that someday. And we heard him teach. And we know how beautiful his teaching, how beautiful teaching can be. I want to teach like that. And we heard him pray. I want to pray like that. And he sat there on the mount and taught us the Sermon on the Mount. He taught us how beautiful the world can be. In fact, he taught us what the world one day will be. For he said that God was coming someday and establishing that kingdom on earth. And the resurrection is just a foretaste of that final and ultimate victory over pain and poverty, over hatred and hostility, over despair and defeat. And so the angel said, He goes before you into Galilee. He is saying, in essence, God's not finished with this earth yet. It's not His plan to evacuate the faithful from this earth. He said, I'm not going to pray that you be taken out of the earth. His plan is to work through men and women who share the Galilean vision to bring the kingdom of this world under the rule of God. That's what it's going to be one day. And so Berger said, No one will ever defeat my faith, no matter how low a man might sink. For my faith is not based upon what man thinks about man. It's based upon what God thinks about him. One last word, please. Easter is a new attitude toward about God. The Scripture says that while the women stood there weep, while the woman stood there weeping, she sensed a presence behind her. She thought it was the gardener. And so she said, where have you taken the Lord's body? Knowing that He didn't recognize her, our Lord spoke. When He spoke... The birds hushed their singing. When he spoke, it was the sound of mighty rushing waters, says the revelator. When he spoke, he said, Why are you weeping? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever stood weeping to sense behind you some unseen presence? Have you ever been in the darkest hour of your life only to hear him call your name? Have you ever been in that place where you felt devoid of cosmic and earthly companionship only to feel His hand upon yours? Hasn't that happened to you? The resurrection is the news, the reality of God at work in the events of this world. Now I know there's some times when it's easier to sense the presence of a reality at work in the world more easily than others. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows His handiwork. What he meant was that all around him, in the sun, the moon, and stars, in the rushing mountain water, in the wild desert, in the majestic mountains, in the darkening gloom of the evening, in the burst of the dawn, around him was, a, was evidence of that design and beauty and intelligence that testified to him of God. Hasn't that ever happened to you? And sometimes you sense God in the experiences of your life, like Robert Louis Stevenson, who one day found his life in turmoil, so many problems, so confused, and all of a sudden he said, I saw my problems dissolve like a miracle, and then he said it. I came about like a well-steered ship, for there at the wheel stood the unknown oarsman named God. Hasn't that ever happened to you? 
But there are times in your life, I'm sure as in mine, when like Good Friday, it seems that, that no one cares, that, that, that God is, has abandoned you and His universe. You must cry, my God, why? Just like He cried from that center cross. There are times when there's no evidence of God at work. And then Easter comes, and the glad news is that God is there in the shadows taking care of His own. What do we know about God from Easter? We know He's the God of the living. And so Emil Bruner said, God's only desire for us is that we allow Him, we allow Him to bestow life upon us. Not merely this life that ends in death, but His life that knows no death. He's the God of the living. Ah, said the Romans, all we'll have to do is bring our mailed fists down upon the church and it'll be no more. And so they did. But the church lived on. Under severe persecution, the church flourished. Many of those Christians were sawn in two. They were thrown to lions. They were starved to death. Some of them became, were sent out to the Numidian mines to work in the mines. Justin Martyr in his book, Songius Martyrum, tells about it. He said these Christians were put in the galleys and they had to roll these ships out to the northern coast of Africa. And there, the chain around their neck down to their ankle was shortened until they could stand erect no longer. And one eye was gouged out. And they were placed in their hand was a mallet. And they were driven into the Numidian mines to die. Many of them died right away. Some of them died with a prevalent fever. Some died because they were not able to stand the rigors of that suffering. But many lived on. And when they evacuated, when they came to those mines centuries later, they found on the walls words, names of loved ones, mothers and children, friends. Scripture verses here, Psalms there. But said Justin Martyr, there was one word that he, called, he, he describes it like this. He said, there was one word that was like a long line of swallows chasing one another to the light. It was the word vita, the Latin word for life. For these Christians had found in the God of the living a life that could never be taken from them. Life. And so R.W. Dale said, the resurrection that awaits us beyond physical death will just be the glorious consummation of the risen life we have already in Christ Jesus. Life that will never be lost. You know what that means? It means that God and I will live forever. It means that God and I will live forever. For He's the God of the living the stars shine over the earth. The stars shine over the sea. The stars look up to the mighty God. And the stars look down on me. The stars will live for a million years. For a million years and a day. But God and I will live and love when the stars have passed away. That's what Easter declares. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good word that comes from an empty tomb. We thank you for the hope that that tomb offers us. We thank you for the call that comes from the living Christ and the God of the living. Call to life. Call to victory. Now I pray, Father, that in light of what God has accomplished victoriously in Jesus, that He also will get victory in this invitation moment in our heart and life. Because I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. Now there are three invitations. The first invitation is for you to come this morning to, put, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. If He's still on the cross, there is no hope. If there is no resurrection, our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain. You're yet in your sin. The greatest documented fact of history is the resurrection of Jesus. Come and claim Jesus as your Savior. Come placing your faith and trust in Him. Repenting of the self-life where you've been in control and bring that life of yours under the control of God. Come to Jesus. The second invitation is for Christians to come and unite with the church or to rededicate themselves to follow the Lord. In the early service, there were three people who came and placed their life here in our church. We'll ask you to follow their example. Come this morning. What a great time to do what God wants us to do as the light shines from an empty tomb and makes that will known to us. Come and do it while we stand right now and sing.